In the brand new book, Dear By Men, author, peer counselor, and creator of the hashtag Bisexual Men Speak, J.R. Youssef offers an unapologetic guide for readers who are Black, Mask, and Bi. The book features cutting social analysis, personal stories, and reclaims bi-plus visibility in a culture of erasure. It also offers practical feedback on how to unlearn internalized biphobia and homophobia, fight back against erasure and stigma, navigate sex, dating, partnerships, marriage, friendship, and much more. It's available now wherever books are sold. North Atlantic Books is offering listeners 25% off plus free shipping. Purchase Dear By Men at www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code CURIOUS25 at checkout for 25% off and free shipping. U.S. mailing address required. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money. Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous, like two bedroom suite instead of a one bedroom suite? So you're like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room. So you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your, your guys's room. Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 30-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm curious about the Trevor Project and all the amazing work that it does. So I'm talking to their CEO, Amit Paley. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and I'm very excited, honey. Pride Month is upon us, and what better time to have this episode of Getting Curious than now. We are joined by the CEO of The Trevor Project, Amit Paley, who is gorgeous, beautiful eyebrows, amazing smile. Not that that matters. It's not how, like, the first thing I need to talk about <laughs> is, like, physically, but your brows are gorgeous. Thank you. I don't think anyone has ever said that to me before. You so. lie. It's, you know, <laughs> here's the thing. In Getting Curious, it's not good to immediately lie. Uh, well, your brows are gorgeous. I'm sure someone said that to you before. Uh, really, pe- they didn't? No. Pe- people have said to me that I should, you know, groom them, and I never have because I've never done that before. So I feel like we need to work on your uh, verbal affirmation. <laughs> like, I feel like the people, we need to, uh, you know, affirm your brows more. 
This well, is not right. I, we should practice. I I feel like now that you've affirmed them, who else, what, how much better could I feel about it? Honestly, I've definitely have had one of those weeks. I met Michelle Kwan this week. Florence sang in my face last night. I feel like I've peaked. I don't know. It's like it's like one of those things. Um, but you know, so you're the CEO of the Trevor Project, and for um, any of you listening, if you have somehow not heard of the Trevor Project, I'm not judging you. That wasn't judgment that you heard in my voice just then. It was curiosity, and that's what we do here. So you know, I obviously know what the Trevor Project does, but tell everyone what it is, like in a gorgeous nutshell. The Trevor Project is the world's largest suicide prevention and crisis intervention organization for LGBTQ youth. We have a lot of different programs. We run the only 24-7 phone lifeline for LGBTQ youth in crisis. We also provide crisis services via chat and via text. We run Trevor Space, which is the world's largest safe space social networking site for LGBTQ youth. And we also do education, research, and advocacy programs. Wow. So, okay, that's uh, 100 million questions that that opened up um, for the rest of our episode. So that's amazing. Obviously, incredibly important work that the Trevor Project does. Um, So how did the Trevor Project start? So we started 20 years ago. It's our 20th anniversary Uh. this year. And we started actually out of entertainment and storytelling. Uh, There was a a short film uh, called Trevor, uh, fictional, about a 13-year-old boy who was realizing he was gay and dealing with feelings of depression and suicide. Uh, It ended up winning uh, an Academy Award for Best Short Film. And uh, after it did, HBO said, we want to air this. And it was an amazing moment because there was... Then, as there still is today, a lot of stigma around suicide and around being an LGBTQ young person. Uh, But when that happened, the people who had put together the film realized, well, what if they're kids like Trevor who are watching all across the country? We want to refer them somewhere where they can get help. And they realized there was no national organization providing that kind of support for LGBTQ youth in crisis. So the movie was called Trevor. They founded a nonprofit called The Trevor Project. They created the first 24-7 phone lifeline. They launched it about 10 minutes before it went on the air on HBO. And then the phone started ringing off the hook that night. And it hasn't stopped for the past 20 years since. And so what does that look like? It's like... My grandma was really big on, like, being able to visualize you on a phone call. Like, she hated it if she if you moved apartments and she didn't see, like, what your new apartment looked like because she couldn't, like, <laughs> visualize, like, where you were in your apartment, like, chatting with her. So what is – visually, like, what does, like, a hotline room look like? Is it, like, a telemarketer room except for we're dealing with, like – really intense things like not selling little things we're dealing with like is that what it looks like i mean it 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 may look like a similar call center for any other type of thing except ours is filled with colors and people who are the most empathetic um caring people you could ever possibly meet in your life and people are just there because they want to help um i actually started uh at the trevor project as a volunteer you did i did seven years ago and i still take shifts and I can tell you it's the single most rewarding thing I have ever done in my life. So how does someone get trained to be able to become a, an operator at the Trevor Project? Because I would think that, like, you know, my I had this one therapist who taught me about, like, selective permeability and how, like, you know, like, if you, like, were, like, a fist or whatever and, like, this is, like, stuff, like, that the world is, like, flying at you, like, it's good to be able to, like, kind of stop it before it, like, it becomes a part of you and you can kind of, like, stop and be like, oh, that's what you are. Like, I'm either going to, like, let you be a part of me or I'm going to, like, put you down because you're not, like, serving me right now. And I could imagine how dealing with the energy of so many people going through so many like intense traumatic situations like how like what does an operator do to get trained to work at trevor project so we provide a lot of training we wouldn't just want to put someone on a call or chat or text if they're not prepared because we deal with life or death situations well i know you guys like prepare your people like amazingly because you guys 
have helped like so many people. Like there's not even a number you could put on it. So I know that you guys do that, but like, what does that look like? Like, do you have to train for like years? Is it like, do you become like a therapist? Like, what is it? it not years. And you don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to have any background in mental health, although that can be a plus. You just have to be someone who um, is able to listen to people and is able to follow our protocols for how to provide help. So, I mean, what does that tactically look like? It's different depending on each program, but on our lifeline, our phone lifeline, it's two back-to-back weekends, full day Saturday, full day Sunday for two weekends. Um, and then we also have a month after that where you actually listen to other people taking calls. Then you have oh. a month after that where you take calls and we monitor your shifts so that you get real uh, in-depth support. And then after that, you start taking calls on your own, although, of course, it's not really on your own because you're in a group of people who are always there providing support when you need it. So um, the groups of people that are fielding these phone calls, like, like they always go to like a center, like you don't work from home. No, our phone lifelines there in call centers um, because we part of our model, we want to make sure that we're providing support and that if you need to co-counsel, you have somewhere there that you can turn to for help. Love. So it's like we take care of the people calling in and we take care of like the staff within. So love that story because like mental health goes all over the place. It does. And the people who are providing help often, you know, need to get support themselves. I mean, you want to make sure when you're taking those calls, which can be difficult, you want to make sure you have someone who can turn to you and say, how is that? Do you need someone to talk to? Do you need to debrief that? And that can be really, really important and helpful as a volunteer. I can't um, – who I – mean, I can't imagine, like, the whole journey of taking a call. Like, as the both the caller and the one fielding the call, like – because, you know, like I learned in one podcast with Stan Tack and that like our feelings are like chemicals in our head, right? Like they're like endorphin and dopamine. And like I can't imagine like I feel like I would need like a jasmine tea and like, <laughs> a, like a bath like to like calm my nervous system down because I would imagine it would get very like, you know – just up here. Is that part of the acronym, like de-escalation or something? Like, is there a cute acronym that we, we work with? Like when you're learning how to te- like work with people on suicide prevention hotline, like PATH or something? <laughs> uh, less cute acronym, but, but de-escalation is right. I mean, when we are talking to people, sometimes they're calling in a really heated moment and they just need someone to talk to. I mean, that that's one of the, I think, really fascinating things about um, working on the lifeline is that Oftentimes, people just need someone to hear them, that they've been through a tough time where no one has acknowledged them, no one has listened to who they are. And just the act of connecting with someone and you saying, I hear you, I understand what you're going through, um, and I, I can hear you're going through a tough time, that is so powerful for people. And when I started volunteering, I wasn't really sure if that was going to work, um, but there's a lot of social science research that shows that it does. And I know from taking calls for seven years that it just has a huge impact on people. Just making, just providing space for someone to be heard. Yes. Like all you have to do. I mean, it's not all you have to do, but it's one of the important things to make sure that they're heard because, I mean, especially for LGBTQ young people who are in certain parts of the country or in certain families, they feel like no one sees them. They, they, they're not recognized. Someone, in some cases, literally trying to erase their identities. Mm. So when you can have a conversation and say to a young person, there may be people who don't accept you for being gay or lesbian or bi or trans or queer or whatever, however they define themselves. But I want you to know there are many, many people who will not only recognize you, but will celebrate you for being who you are. And I want you to know that I'm one of those people and I'm really proud of you. I mean, sometimes you say that and just they just start crying. It's just so powerful for them to say, I never imagined that someone would actually say this part of me that was the thing I was most ashamed about, that someone would say, 
I not only see that in you, but I'm proud of you for who you are, and I think you're an amazing person. Oh, and you're like to be celebrated. Yeah, I mean, that's all. I mean, what do people want in life? They want to be seen, and they want to be loved, and they want to be celebrated. And when you can do that for someone when they don't have that in their ordinary life, it's enormously powerful. So I feel like this episode is going to really um, exemplify uh, my ADD as well because my talking to you and about these subjects is so layered. I feel like so the thing that the universe just came to my head now is like if you have a friend or if someone's going through something in like suicidal ideation or you're like dealing with someone like that in your life, like what do you never do? Like what do we like? Like what? It's like we don't shame. Like like what's like the big three things that like we don't say to someone like when we're. I mean, obviously, like not dumb things. Like of course, yeah. but like like if you don't know how to deal with someone, it's like do you refer them to the Trevor Project? Do we try to get them a therapist? Like what do you, what's your advice for for someone who's like not works at the Trevor Project, but they're dealing with someone in their life who, especially LGBTQ, who's going through suicidal stuff? Yeah. Well, the first thing is you should always feel comfortable referring someone to the Trevor Project. That's why we're here. We're here twenty four seven. So if nothing else, if you don't feel comfortable or not able to support someone directly, actually providing them with resources and getting them help somewhere else that in and of itself can be very powerful. But you know, in terms of things not to do, I think you want to make sure that you don't ignore someone. So if someone's reaching out to you for help and is saying they need someone to talk to, don't ignore that. Make sure that you are either getting them help, talking to them, or providing them someone that they can go to for service. The other thing is, you know, don't minimize what they're going through. You know, sometimes when someone is saying some, I'm going through something and it's so hard. Sometimes people want to leap into problem-solving mode and to say... I do that. I do that. I do that. I just want to put it in a box. I just want it to be like, you know, over. Like I'm air quoting over. Yeah. And I mean, solving problems is great and there's a time and a place for that. But if someone is saying, I'm suicidal because I'm going through a tough time and this is the thing that's triggering it, saying to someone, oh, that's a stupid reason to feel that way. You know, or like what we just need to do is like, well, that's not that big of a deal. We could just get you like, you know, a gym membership and do this and that. And you'll totally like, it's like not the time. Yes. I mean, if someone is really suicidal, you want to make sure that you are listening to what they're going through and making sure they feel heard and then figuring out how they can get resources and ongoing support. Um, and again, there's a time and a place for problem solving. But when someone is really in a suicidal moment, um, you can't always understand exactly what they're going through, especially when people who are suffering for, with mental health issues. You may not know what it's like in their head, and so don't just try to minimize what they're going through. So then that leads me to this like other question. So like my stepdad, um, he died years ago, but he was like this really amazing man. I loved him so much, but he um, had this really dear friend whose name I'm not going to say. I just heard him. I'm not going to say his name. But he had this really dear friend in the 80s, and they, like, lived in the Virgin Islands together, and they got sober together, and, like, they started, like, training for triathlons together, and they just became, like, the best of friends. And after, like, two years, because uh, I'd heard this story a lot about this friend of my stepdad's, and basically after they'd been friends for a couple of years, like, that's when this friend started kind of sharing with Steve that he struggled with suicidal ideation, like, all the time. And it turned into this thing for where, like, over the course of, like, two years, like, it, if not once a day, like several times a week, like he would be like threatening it, talking about it. And however, all the times they tried, because they were all in AA, they would like try to get him into therapy. They try to do AA, la la. And he he eventually ended up taking his own life. And there was no resource at the time for Steve to like to to get him onto. But also, it became Steve never said that it was like unhealthy for him. But just listening to the stories and the amount of like lost sleep and like he really wanted his best friend to make it and he didn't and so for the steves of the world i've also like had something happen in the last few years where like 
I've had a very close friend with extreme, you know, mental illness. It was like very, very acute. And like, like it was not like beyond my pay grade, but like in a loving way, like I did not know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like, do you just need to call the police? Like if it's like in a really acute emergency situation and stuff, because in this country, we really don't have a way because of like, if someone needs to be taken in, you know, you can't say like my friend needs to be taken in. Like that doesn't count. Like, if you call the police, you know, if there's really an emergency. So, like, for acute or, like, long-standing depression people that, like, are, like, it's it's past, like, a call to the Trevor Project and it's, like, intervention status. What happens then? Well, I, I think that brings another thing that people should uh, not be afraid to do, which is don't be afraid to ask people if they're thinking of killing themselves. Because a lot of times people worry well, if I ask someone, is that going to make them more likely to kill themselves? And there's a lot of research behind this. Asking someone if they're thinking of killing themselves does not make them more likely. In fact, it will get them talking and it's more likely to get them help. So if you're talking to someone and you think that they may be at risk of killing themselves, you should actually ask them if they have a plan, if they're planning on doing it and having that conversation. If someone says that they are and that they have a plan to kill themselves in the near future, then you still can call the Trevor Project, but you also should consider calling emergency services to getting them help. And that's like um, your 911s, your police, your... Yes. In an yeah. ideal world, you can get someone to go in themselves and to get help. But I think we need to not be afraid to know that there are people who are thinking of killing themselves and that they need to get help. And um, sometimes people are afraid, well, what if I tell someone, is my friend going to be angry at me? And it's it's most important to make sure that your friend is alive. Um, and there are places where you can go and get help and not being afraid to make that call if if someone really is thinking of killing themselves and um, and needs to get support. It's just like, you know, I, it, suicide is definitely like, it's not new. It definitely seems like lately in the news, there's like definitely a more acute resurgence with Anthony Bourdain and then Kate Spade. And... I don't even know. It's like in Buddhism, you know, they talk about like the hooded figure in Buddhism is called like Mara. He's this like kind of like hooded, like I, I think I understand what I'm talking about. I could not, but I but I think I do. But I just don't even know what, like where to start or like really what, it is just so devastating from, in no matter how you approach it. But it, do you notice that the Trevor Project in the last, has it become worse lately? Is it, or are we just more aware of it because of the high profile people in the news or or what is it? I mean, suicide is a public health crisis in this country, and I think a lot of times people don't know about that because there is such stigma. People don't often like to well, talk about suicide. Well, who wants to talk about it? And, and that's what we need to change. I mean, that's part of what we do at the Trevor Project and other groups that we work with is saying we can't have a stigma where this is something that's pushed into the closet, where we don't talk about it. And for us as a Trevor Project, there's often still stigma around suicide and there's stigma around being an LGBTQ person. We need to make sure that we're talking about both of them because suicide is preventable. We know that when people can get help, there are places that people can turn to. Um, it's when it's pushed into the shadows and the darkness that people don't get the help that they need. But when we say suicide's a public health crisis, it really is. There is just data released by the federal government. Suicide rates in this country have actually increased over the past two decades. 45,000 people die by suicide every year in this country. That's more people than live in my hometown. Wow. That's like my whole hometown, like, would kill themselves every year. 
But that's all people. We know for young people, the statistics are actually even more heartbreaking. So suicide is the second leading cause of death for all young people in this country. Like behind drunk driving or something? After accidents, accidents Mm. overall. And some states it's the number one. So in Utah, more young people die by suicide than any other reason. Which that kind of goes hand in hand with like religious persecution and like bigotry and stuff I would think about with like, not to call it the Mormon church, but you know, the Mormon church and like all of their extreme, like constant, like love the sinner, but hate the sin and like talking about it all the time and like constantly driving it into people's heads all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the challenges I think of talking about suicide that we want to make sure that we're not pointing the blame or saying there's any one My reason. Bad. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, it's it's interesting. There are a lot of religious groups that are actually trying to do more work on this. And I think actually the Mormons are an interesting case because um, they're not supportive of same-sex marriage. I think most people would not say they are uh, the exemplars of how to be supportive of LGBTQ youth, but they actually have been supportive of stopping suicide and stopping suicide of LGBTQ youth. They actually, Just so long as you don't admit that your parents are gay and then they'll support. But I get it. We got to like give them credit where I guess it's, they're just like a sore spot for me because like my, my I have really close friends who are Mormon and like because of these like rigid by rules like in their way like I just it's hard for me to warm up to like a really hardcore Mormon like their mom passed away and like because they weren't like practicing in the church at the time like they weren't allowed to like see her body they weren't allowed to like dress her for her like burial they weren't allowed to like have anything to do with like their mom's burial because like they like weren't actively going to church I just feel like it's like cold it's like cold like ow and And, yeah and also just i feel like in general i feel like from growing up in the middle of america in the age of like doma of like i love you i just don't think that you deserve to have equal rights as me like any time i like sense a whiff of that i'm like but where you are preventing suicide and like doing the work that you're doing like you kind of aren't in a position to like you need to make friends well and, and i think we as a trevor project we still stand up and say when people are discriminating against lgbtq young people that is wrong, that is un-American, that's not acceptable. And when any religious group does that, we speak up and say that's wrong. But I think we also want to get make sure we try to reach out to some of those communities because so many of the young people that reach out to us are in the most conservative places in very religious communities. And we want to make sure that there aren't young people that think that you cannot be a person of faith and also be LGBTQ. Oh my God, this and is that- a really good thing. Stand by. Two seconds. I think we've talked for like 40 minutes and it's just <laughs> two seconds. We'll be right back with more Getting Curious. Uh, right after this. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Vanessa. We are joined by the CEO of the Trevor Project, Amit Paley, who we love so much, having such a good conversation. So basically what we were just talking about was another subject that I think is very interesting and hard to navigate these days is the idea of like working with a group or an organization that may not have the exact like values. Like me and Cromwell just had this thing because he met with uh, Karen Pence's chief of staff a few weeks ago. And I was like, girl, I'm not sure. It was really hard for me to wrap my head around it. But then at the end of the day, I was like, I think I actually really support that you did that because all of like the Fox News of the world will write that like, you know, Cromwell Brown, host queer, I like you, you know, you met with Karen Pence and that kind of dispels some of those ideas of the left that the right has that I think prevent us from being able to like communicate and have some sort of like working dialogue that could get us out of this like stalemate and gridlock. And I think that it is important to maybe reach across the aisle, even if it's uncomfortable. I just, I really squirm out of that discomfort because of growing up where I came up in and, and kind of coming up what I came up against. That's like why when I hear, the, I was just explaining it, like with the Mormon church, it's a little like, like I'm not sure, but maybe need to make friends with that discomfort because... 
I think we're all going to have to like come to the middle a little bit or something. Well, and, and I think, you know, our head of advocacy is a, a brilliant person there, an MIT-trained nuclear engineer, gender mm. fluid. They are from a conservative family, conservative part of the country. They're a survivor of conversion therapy, um, which, you know, even though people don't talk about it as much, it is still legal today in 37 states in this country. Uh, it has not been banned by the legislature of New York State, where we're sitting right now, or I'm from Massachusetts. People think of as liberal. It's still legal there. And they're a person of faith. And when they talk and they communicate with people that they're trying to change their minds and they say, yes, I'm an LGBTQ person, but I am also a person of faith. And those are not mutually exclusive things. I think that opens a powerful dialogue because we're not going to be able, forget even changing laws, we're not going to be able to protect LGBTQ young people unless we can get more people in this country who are from faith-based communities, who are from conservative parts of the country to say it's okay to be conservative and LGBTQ. It's okay to be a person of faith and LGBTQ. And that's why when we try to send our messaging to young people and saying you're not alone, you are beautiful the way you are. It doesn't matter what background you come from. You can be an LGBTQ person no matter what your political beliefs, no matter what your religious beliefs, no matter where you live in the country. And that's, I think, really important that young people see that so that they don't feel, well, I don't look like this person or that person, so therefore I have to try to erase the LGBTQ part of myself. Which is so, like, trash and toxic, and we don't want to, like, erase those parts of our identities because they're gorge. But I do think that that is an important thing to say. You can be conservative in LGBTQ. And, we, and I guess, I mean, am I? No. I mean, maybe with taxes. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, those taxes <laughs> be getting so high sometimes. But, um, but yeah, I think that is important to be able to show that there's something to be seen in everyone. And, and that's a beautiful thing to have. Um, so that's great. So what kind of taking it back into the Trevor Project and, and the workings of suicide and some of the things to look for, you mentioned earlier in the first part of the of the podcast about like if they have like a plan for suicide. Is that one of like the things that happens like if you were to dissect like um, people who have committed suicide, like is the development of a plan like an integral part of like when people who are struggling with that, like, is that a thing? Like, the plan? Is that, like, a thing that happens or that you need to watch out for, like, in the loved ones? Well, if, if one thing to look out for is if people actually say that they are thinking of killing themselves. And if you ask that question, and it's interesting, in our trainings, we actually practice people saying that question because a lot of people at first have some difficulty with it because of that stigma. If someone says, yes, I'm thinking about killing myself, a follow-on question to ask is, well, have you thought about when you would do it or how you would do it or have you put together a plan? Because sometimes people are just afraid to ask those questions. But if you ask those questions, someone may actually say, yes, I'm thinking of killing myself and I'm planning on doing it at X time and in X way. And if you know that, just think how important that would be. If you, if you didn't ask that question and someone may have hurt themselves, but if you ask that question and you know what they're planning on doing – you can figure out a way to get them more help and support. So I think that's not being afraid to ask the questions can make such a difference. So when you said that and you're like, I'm thinking of doing it in X way at X time, like I noticed in me when you said that, like I got so uncomfortable, like even just like running through that, like dryly, like I was like imagining what like, like I was feeling like a little upset. Like if I was doing it in like therapist speak, like I felt like tightness or like a little like tingling in my chest, like thinking of myself, like, cause it's like, staying calm with your own parts when you're getting someone through that like that seems like it would be a lot of the battle like just staying calm like as the operator because you don't want any like you just want people to be okay 
Well, I, we want people to be okay, but we also want to make sure that we know how to get them safe. And, and you know, it goes, again, to us trying to eliminate stigma. So, so it, what is the stigma? Like, what is, what is stigma? Like, it's – what is stigma? The stigma on suicide? Just I, stigma in general. Like, the idea of, like, talking about something makes it more, like – it's just this thing that we don't want to look at. Like, suicide is just this, like, thing that we don't want to look at. Because it just, like, immediately makes us, like, anxiety and, like, depressed and makes – because are we all a little afraid that we have that inside of us, too? Or, like, it could happen to us, too? Like, what are we so afraid of? I I think it's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of people, they have just been taught from a young age that this is not something that you talk about. I mean, same with mental health. Many people do not want to talk about mental health. Many people do not want to say – I went to go see a therapist. I take medication. I have an anxiety disorder. I have depression. And yet we know from the data there are so many people who struggle with mental health. There are so many people who struggle with feelings of suicide. And if we can change that equation that the second you hear those words, you think, I'm going to shut down. I don't want to talk about this. I'm afraid. And even worse, if you signal to other people, if you signal to your friends or your family, I'm not a person you can talk to about this, then you've missed that opportunity to have that conversation that could be so important. And so that's why, you know, when we at the Trevor Project go out, we try to talk as much as possible about mental health and about suicide. You know, sometimes we go places and people, I was just actually at an event where someone said, you know, there are going to be children there. Can you talk about the Trevor Project without talking about suicide? And we said, no, we cannot. Part of our mission is to end the stigma and to make people more comfortable about talking about these issues. And so, no, we cannot. That's part of our mission to talk about it. And at the end, we did. And it was actually the person said, I'm really glad that you did. Um, But I think we have to go to what sometimes you might think are those tough conversations because that's often where they can make the biggest difference. Um, Okay, so then the next thing that just came – what about like – oh, my God, like I – I could kill myself. I hate this place so much. I got to go. Like people that like saying things offhandedly, like, like where you're minimalizing the idea of like what suicide is, like how big of an issue is that? Cause I feel like there are definitely times where I'm like, Oh my God, like this, it is like so hot outside. I could die or I could like kill me. It's like so, it's like so lame is like how big of an issue is that to people who are like going through suicidal ideation? You might say that, not think anything of it, but it's like, is that super triggering for people? If you it, like, that's something we need to move on. Like the PC list. Like we don't say these things. Yeah. I mean, we try not to say things that can minimize either suicide or or mental health. And so, you know, internally at the Trevor Project, we don't use phrases like that. We also don't use phrases that can be thought to minimize mental health. So saying that's so crazy, you know, or that person's out of their mind. For someone who is dealing with mental health issues, that can seem like you are using flippant language that's minimizing what they're going through. So we try not to use language like that. And we try to encourage other people not to as well. And then I think another thing I think about suicide and like where my stigma comes from it. And it's like, I think of my grandma and like her, I feel like her voice informs like she's no longer with us, but I feel like her voice in my head is very much there. Like it's, she's always going. And it's like, it's, it feels like this thing. It's like, you don't do that because it's like, A, it's like, what would all of us do? Like, it's like all about like the rest of the family and like, and how could you be so selfish and like, la, 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 la. So it's this part that you like shut down and don't look at. Cause it's like whatever air quote, like bad is, so really that's just like a legacy burden that we don't need to like invest that much in. Cause when I'm I'm trying to look at like what stigma is for me with this and I'm like, where did it come from? Like, why do I not want to look at it? Why? Do, Cause it just feels like sad and like, but really it's just like a human condition that we need to like look at. I'm really just like flustering. I don't really know. I don't even know what I'm like really saying. I just, she's just such a topic. 
I mean, I think that's what a lot of people struggle with of they have thoughts inside that they don't always know exactly where they come from or why they feel them. But I think the fact that you're talking about them I and mean, the fact that we are talking about this right now, I hope that there are going to be people who are listening here who are going to say, you know what, my friend, they were using some words that make me concerned about them. Maybe I was using language that was pushing them away. How can I go have a conversation right now that will let them know that I'm there and I'm there to listen to them? You know, the next time someone hears someone say something that maybe they are thinking about suicide, that you can actually explore that rather than walk away or get nervous or turn around. That will make a difference. I I do. I'm like, I hope I, I just feel like I hope I haven't done that like in my life. Like I feel like the idea of like closing down or kind of like running away from that conversation, I feel like it that comes more naturally than leaning in. And I think that is a pretty big indicator of, because I feel like I'm pretty easy to talk to about things, and this one is like very uncomfortable. The idea of suicide, and and I, we really do need to change that because it's like she's opioid level of epidemic, and I think that it's just not talking about it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't, and I I don't think I actually shared the statistics on the LGBTQ community, which are even more heartbreaking. So I told you that suicide's a public health crisis. We talked about how it's worse, you know, for young people, it's a second leading cause of death. Gay, lesbian, and bisexual young people are more than four times likely to attempt suicide than their straight peers. We don't yet have good data on trans and gender nonconforming youth, but we expect that they're much higher. And I wonder if actually, that could be because like the CDC isn't allowed to do like any sort of like research on it because of like who's the president right now. It's not specifically what is because it? Who of is that. It? Who do we hate? Well, Why do you stop blaming people? <laughs> You're trying to teach me something so learn. Well, there is a lot that needs to be done. So we actually just got sexual orientation questions added to this federal instrument that is administered uh, by the CDC, actually. It's called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. And so the Trevor Project and some other groups we've been advocating for a long time, that's why we have this data. You know, data sometimes sounds wonky or you know technical, but it's so important. We've also been advocating for gender identity, and we're hoping that the there's going to be some data coming out about that. The Trevor Project is also undergoing its own research because this is so important for the community to know. So we've invested in research ourselves, and we hope we can share some of that data uh, later as well, which will be really powerful. Has it been really difficult for the Trevor Project to navigate like this administration and like where the pendulum of like social, that you know, there's like that social pendulum. Like, has this been like really difficult, or do you feel like you already had a well-oiled enough machine kind of before this to? continue like Trevor Project like nicely through whatever administration is going on. I mean, we will continue no matter who is president or who is an elected official, but it has been really challenging. The day after the presidential election in 2016, our call volume more than doubled in a 24-hour period of time. It's just heartbreaking to to see that immediate spike in young people just feeling unsafe. Helpless. And we see it in other events. Last year in Texas, when they were considering a ban on trans people yeah. using restroom, we saw a spike from Texas. When the president tweeted that trans people would be banned from the military, we saw an increase in trans and gender nonconforming people across the country reaching out for help. Even just him like accosting that guy with the top knot, I thought was so telling. Like last week, did you see that? The, the, that protester that had like a man bun and he was like, I can't even tell like what gender you, and I mean, so telling that that's how you would immediately think of like how you're going to treat someone based off if they're a man or a woman. Like that's going to inform you of like how nice or rude you're going to be to someone. Like it, that really was horrifying to see. And that's not even like anything that that's horrifying on the scale of things, but it really got, I thought that was like a unadulterated like peek into how his mind works, which I thought was it's terrifying to think of it as like a sixth grade boy, like a sixth grade bully boy is kind of how that felt. So then with, cause I feel like one thing that we run up against with people like 
super, super writer people that I would think of that, like, wouldn't really be that, like, um, open to, like, mental illness conversations or conversations around, like, how to prevent suicide, especially in LGBTQ youth. It seems like those people would be, like, more closely aligned with, like, the NRAs of the world. And I feel like the NRA would be, like, such someone that we would, like, not be down with at the Trevor Project. So I would imagine, like, their products have so much they make it easier for it's like that's so much of the issue so like how is like is the trevor project doing anything cute with like every town or like is there like should we brainstorm on like cute like inter like nonprofit ways that we could like we because i feel like we need to make like a big gay like anti-nra like kind of like every town but almost like bigger like we need like a big super corporate nonprofit like arm like, it, just idea, just throwing it out. You don't have to answer yeah. that. It's just, like, it's just ideas. And then another idea that I have is it's all about, like, local elections. Like, we really need, like, places like Texas and Indiana and, like, Ohio and, like, some of these, like, such Republican-controlled, like, state house and legislatures. Those are the ones that would, like, really be cute. I mean, obviously, we need, we need to take the federal house, too. But so many of, like, I'm sure, like, funding for places like, like, if we could get, like, funding from the government for Trevor Project in places like Mississippi and Texas and Alabama and Arkansas that need it the most, that funding would probably come easier if like we had like people that were more active voting that could like get in some people that thought that like the government helping people was interesting yeah i mean i think the state and local levels are incredibly important you know i mentioned we do advocacy work our biggest campaign right now we run the country's largest 50 state campaign to end conversion therapy and those things need to be done on the state and local level because we don't have a federal law and we're not going to likely we're not going to win on the federal level to get that so i think changing the the makeup of people um, on the state and local level is going to be a huge deal because that's how we can actually affect some of those policies. And from the funding perspective, we don't get any federal funding. You know, we we just got funding for the first time from the city of New York, but we don't have states who are lining up to say we're investing in crisis services for LGBTQ youth. We're investing in research. Um, everything we do is is almost primarily uh, funded by individuals or by um, you know a few companies that are stepping up to support what we do. So. That's a huge area, and I think the more we can get people across the country to do that, as you say, the, the bigger impact we can have. So I feel like – I don't know if it was like that it was like Pride Weekend or like that I just like don't know how I got outside today because my I feel like I like won America's Next Top Model for the last four months like every day in, in, in a way because I just never know what the itinerary is going to be for the day. <laughs> but I what are like – because Trevor Project is so important and I so look up to the work that your organization does and it's so such important work. Like what are the glaring things that I like missed and should have talked about that we didn't talk about because like there's 30 minutes and like I have ADD. <laughs> like, like what did we miss? Like aside from like – needing to send out like all the love and compassion to all of the people on both sides of this that are both like working for the Trevor project and the people using its resources, like love, compassion, love so much it gets better. But like, what are any other like programs I missed or like dates or like numbers that we need to call or, Oh, also I definitely know that we're going to include the suicide hotline number and, and any other relevant information for the Trevor project on the link to in this episode description. So we got that for sure. But Great. what are like chatty bullet points that we didn't do that we need to? Well, I think, you know, if people are listening and they need help, we just want to make sure that you always know that you can reach out for help to the Trevor project on any of the services that we offer. And then if anyone's listening and you're inspired and you want to get involved with what we do at the Trevor Project, we are looking for more volunteers. We're expanding our work and we need more volunteers than ever before. If you want to donate, we are expanding and we need financial resources to do that. Um, and if you anyway want to get involved and volunteer, 
just reach out on our website and there are places you can go to start doing that. And I think my biggest takeaway from this episode is that um, talking about suicide isn't like taboo. Like it needs to not be taboo. Like no more taboo than like any other thing. That's exactly right because I think if you talk more about the fact that this happens and that many people experience these thoughts and you follow that by letting people know people experience this, but there are things you can do. So we want to make sure it, it can actually be problematic or dangerous if you just say, well, lots of people are thinking of killing themselves and lots of people do kill themselves. And we want to lead that to say, and it's preventable. So if you are thinking of suicide, if someone you know is thinking of suicide, it's not taboo to talk about it. You can reach out for help. And there are things you can do that will allow you to survive and to thrive um, and we want you to get help. Thank you so much for coming today and sharing your amazing story. We love Trevor Project and happy Pride Month. Happy Pride. And we all love you. We're so excited to um, uh, get to meet you. And thank you for everything that you do and spreading messages of love and hope and compassion. Well, thank you for giving me your time and just like keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benes. My guest this week was Amit Paley, CEO of The Trevor Project. You'll find links to Amit's work on The Trevor Project in this episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Also, their phone number and all of the relevant information that you need for The Trevor Project is right here. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks to her so much for letting us use it. And if you enjoyed our show, subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We love a subscriber. It really helps. Write a little baby review. You guys have been living it on the reviews. Doing so good. All the reviews, all the love. Thank you so much for that. Uh, share us on your socials. Tweet us. Facebook us, Instagram us. We love all of it. Ooh, or you could even send us fan on our honey. That's a new one. Find the P.O. Box address on Earwolf.com. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time. Oh, oh, oh.